Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, Grace. I want to invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 11 through 13. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. As you do that, I just want to start by saying something. I, I don't know if I can say enough, and it's this. It is such a joy. It is such an honor to be the senior pastor here to work with Pastor Brad, to work with our elders, to work with you. Now, some of you are like, what's he getting at? He's going to make an ask. No, I'm not trying to butter you up, friends. There are things I see on a week-in, week-out basis, and it just hit me this week. Some of these things you don't get to see. You don't get to participate in. Our God has done so much over the last two years, and sometimes I actually get a little worried that you don't know all the good that's happening. Like, how many of you get to sit in on every single membership class? How many of you get to sit in on membership interviews? Can I just share with you some of the common threads, some of the common refrains I hear as you come to say, yeah, I want to be a part of grace, and here's why. Here's one of the common refrains that I get. So many of you say this, finally, I am excited to be at Sunday worship. I used to go because I know I'm supposed to, but now, I see not just myself, I see my kids excited for Sunday. Can we just stop and say praise God to that? Is that not amazing? Something else I get, here's a comment we hear frequently in our membership interviews. I am learning so much about how I have an ongoing need for the gospel. I hear Jesus in every sermon, and I'm starting to really see that he's there on every page of Scripture. I'm starting to see, yes, I've had a lot of teaching about the law, but now I see how grace motivates that. I see my need for that. I see how my Father's smile compels my obedience. It makes me want to do the do's. It makes me not want to do the don'ts. As I, as I have coffees, lunches, breakfasts with you, I, I have heard things like, you know, I'm not sure I was a Christian before. I get the cross. My life has not worked. It has not turned out the way that I thought it would be. Or maybe someone in my family's life has not turned out the way I thought it would be. And I see the grace, the forgiveness, and the mercy of God. And now I know for sure that I am a Christian. In more than one interview, you've gotten teary-eyed. You've said, You know, I'm here because I could tell something was missing, but I didn't know what. And now I can put my finger on it, and it's this. It's Jesus. I heard so much about covenants or law, but I was starving for Christ, and I have that now. Oh, friends, I could keep going. And let me be clear, I am not knocking other churches whatsoever. They are our friends, our brothers, our teammates. They are our sisters, and we are going to continue to work with them. I'm just repeating back to you your words that you have spoken to me. Oh, friends, that's beautiful. When you hear those testimonies, doesn't that do something within you? Doesn't that kind of move you? Doesn't that make you want to keep this thing going? So what's next? What do we do? What's next? What's next? What's the next step? What is Grace 2.0? What does Grace 3.0 look like? Most of us would say Grace 2.0 means this, a building. Pastor Brad and I would say it means more staff. (laughs) It means a secretary. I've heard those are nice, right? More than we need more staff, more than we need a building, we need this. 
We need to keep building a culture of getting plugged in, of connecting, and of serving. That right there is Grace 2.0 moving to Grace 3.0. Now, when you say that, when you say that, it can sound like, "Uh uh-oh, this is the serve sermon. This is like the money sermon. Brace yourselves. Get ready. He's going to condemn us. No. No. Heavens no. Heavens no. As I talk to our elders, as I talk to you, as I talk to our deacons, our two new deacons who are excited, it is so clear to me that we are bought in together. We are in this thing together. We want to see it move forward. No, our next big step is for you to feel encouraged about the past and let that fuel you towards the future. That's what this sermon is about. It's good job. Let's keep it up and let's add to it. That's where we're going. That's where we're going. So that's where we need to go is Grace 2.0, moving to Grace 3.0. But how? How do we do that? How do we take this next step? How do we tackle this big project? Well, last week, we introduced the idea of shape. Can we go ahead and put that up on the slides there? We introduced this idea that God the Holy Spirit has given you, when you came to faith in Jesus, has given you some kind of spiritual gifting, maybe a combination of gifts. We also said that you are an image bearer. God the Holy Spirit has given you gifts. God the Father has given you a unique wiring, a unique heart's passion, unique abilities, unique personality, unique experiences that have shaped you and honed you, and with that comes a call to put those things into his service. We had that last week. This week, we're going to add to it, right? We had God the Father. We had God the Holy Spirit. Who's missing? Come on, Sunday school answer always is? There you go. Thank you, Jesus. I paid Pastor Brad to yell that out. All right. God the Son. God the Son. Well, no worries. He shows up today. This week we see that God, the Son, Jesus Christ, adds to that equation of service. In short, if this sermon is about anything, it is this. If God the Father and God the Holy Spirit give us an individual, unique shape, a gifting to serve, then God the Son puts His arms around all of us, all of our unique shapes, and gives us the gift of elders that assemble us together like puzzle pieces into one grand picture. That's where we're going. That's where we're headed. And as we learn this, as we see this, we will see that as we do this, as we put our shape together, as the elders bring it together, equip us for the work of ministry, for works of service, what we learn is this. We will make a kingdom impact in each other's lives, And we will make an impact in Northwest Indiana, parts of Illinois, and across the globe. Amen. Does that sound like good news? So how? How do we see this? Let's see this in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. If you would read there with me while I read out loud, this is God's holy, inspired, inerrant, and infallible word. A quick note. You're used to me reading from a translation called the ESV. This morning, I will be reading from the older version of the NIV. I just think it captures it so, so well. Here is God's Word, Ephesians chapter 4, picking it up in verse 11. It was He who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers 
to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Brothers and sisters, friends, this is God's holy word. It is given to you in love and for our good. Oh, friends, how are we going to break this down? How are we going to break this text up? And how are we going to connect it to grace 2.0 to 3.0? Here's the two points we have. Here's what's going to get us there. Number one, we're going to see in this text that we serve because of Jesus' gifts. We serve because of Jesus' gifts. And then we see that number two, we serve because of Jesus' goals. Very simple. Jesus' gifts, Jesus' goals, that's where we're going. Let's look at that first one. We serve because of Jesus' gifts. Look with me at verse 11. Look with me at verse 11. It's pretty clear there. Jesus Christ gives gifts to his church. What are those gifts? There's five offices there. You may have heard it as apest, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. Here it says pastors. I think that's very helpful to see that we're talking about offices. We're talking about roles. We are not talking about a gift you have, you possess. That was last week. This week is Jesus gives you the gift of officers. These men in Paul's day were five different types of church officers, church leaders who had some kind of calling and a special teaching gift to go teach God's people his word and to preach his gospel. Now at this point, I feel like I know you. I feel like what you want me to do is to run through each one of the five and say what they are. I'd love to do that. That might be a good email, might be a good conversation, but Paul is not really concerned to explain this list. He's more concerned with other things, and we'll get to that in a minute. What is the point here? The point here is this. These men are gifts from Jesus to bless the church by using their special gifting to communicate to illuminate, to persuade, and to apply God's word. The point here is this. These men are officers. They are gifts from Jesus Christ to bless his church by using their special gifting to communicate, to persuade, to illuminate, and to apply God's word. Today, we no longer have apostles or prophets, but those other three, the evangelists, The pastors and the teachers live on in the office of elder. That's what we're talking about here. We're talking about elders. This is really interesting. This is really interesting. In fact, I said Paul's not so interested in describing what they are. He's interested in describing what they do. Look with me at verse 12 because we get their purpose. We get their purpose. Look with me at verse 12. There's their purpose. Do you see the purpose? What is their purpose for? To prepare to equip God's people for works of service, or in some of your translation, for works of ministry, so that the body of Christ may be built up. There's their purpose. The purpose of any teaching ministry in the church has to include this. It is to equip Jesus' people for works of service, for works of ministry that build up his body, his church. That is the purpose. That is the no less than of an elder. We actually need to camp out on this for a minute. 
Did you know? Did you know that this is one of the most hotly debated passages in New Testament scholarship? They will fight back and forth on how you parse this out, how you understand it, how you interpret it. And I want to go on a little bit of a detour. It's going to feel like a detail, but when I show you the detail, you will go, oh, that actually makes a big difference in how you live out being the church. What is that detour? That detour starts here. After spending some time with you in your homes, hearing you pray, hearing you quote scripture, going around our Sunday school classes, just talking with you after the service, I can tell that a fair amount of us were raised on the King James Version. I'm not going to ask you to show your hands. But a fair amount of us were raised on the King James Version. Can we read this passage in the King James Version? Because we got to point something out here. Let's look at this in the King James Version. Right there, verse 11, and he gave. Can I just shrink apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers into elders? We all allow me to do that? Am I out of bounds? All right, there we go. And he gave elders. Watch this, watch this. For the perfecting of the saints, comma, comma. Hang on to that. It gets interesting. He gave elders for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Do you see how with that comma there, it looks like what Paul is doing is giving a three-part job description to elders. It would look like this. Go to the elders' job description. You read the verse this way, and he gave elders one for the perfecting of the saints, two for the work of ministry, and three for the edifying or the building up of the body. Do you see how it could look like Paul is only talking about elders here? Does that make sense? We clear? All right, good, 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 because if we get this, we see a problem. What are you to do? Crickets, right? What are you to do? What are you to do? A scholar caught, hey, wait a minute, what's that comma doing there? I'm not so sure I agree with that. And ever since then, all of your newer translations of the Bible do not have that comma. Why do you care? Why does this matter? This makes a lot of difference. Some are like, man, we are getting technical. Pastor John, we know you passed seminary, but we don't want a seminary class. No, this makes a difference. This makes a difference. Let's go back to the NIV. Now watch how this reads very differently, and this makes a huge difference. So Christ himself gave, there's apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Go next slide. Let's just shrink that down to Christ himself gave elders. Now watch how the elders' job description changes. To equip his people. But now the congregation has a job description. Do you see that? This makes a huge difference. Are we tracking? Or am I out in Nerdland? Well, I'm probably out in Nerdland, but I hope you're with me. All right. This makes a huge difference because the congregation has a task, has a job description, works of service, works of ministry. When elders equip, prepare and train and use their teaching gifts, and the people are equipped, prepared and trained, look at what happens. We both have a job description together. We build up the body of Christ. And friends, that right there is a beautiful, beautiful thing. When we understand this, when we get this right, when we see how that one small little detail makes a very big difference in how you go about ministry, we go, okay, all right, wow. I see it, I get it, but do you see what this means? Do you see what this means for your life? As you read this passage, it is clear. 
Jesus expects his people to serve in his church. He expects his people to participate in building it up. It is not just to the elders. It is not just to the pastors. No, we all have a call to be equipped. We all have a call to serve in some capacity, in some ministry. We all have a God-given shape that we learned about last week. This week we learned that we have God-given elders to bring that shape together, to put the puzzle pieces together, to make sure we're trained up, make sure we're polished, make sure we are sparkling. Why? So we can glorify God together here at Grace but also beyond the four walls of the church as we seek to plant churches and make disciples. How many of you love R.C. Sproul? How many of you know that name? Let me give you a quote from him on this passage. He says this. Would you read this with me? The church is to be... That quote's not there, so just listen to it. I goofed it up. All right, listen to this quote. The church is to be a mobilized army. Leaders are called to train people, to give them the equipment, the tools, the knowledge, and the skills necessary for works of service. The most effective churches that I know, the most effective churches that I know are churches where the ministerial staff devote many hours to train and mobilize their congregations to be, and I love this, listen to this, to be mighty armies of saints as they minister to a dying world. Do you want to belong to a mighty army of saints that ministers to a dying world around us? Do you watch the news and get sad? In Christ, you are shaped and you have elders as gifts to help you do something about it. He loves you, he loves this church, and he loves this world too much to just let it go by. Oh, friends, when we grasp this vision, do you see it? When we grasp this vision of a mobilized army, how can you not want to serve? How can you not look at your children or your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews, and how can you not think, what's their shape? How did God shape them? They may not have professed faith yet. They may not have a spiritual gift, but man, oh man, I need to sharpen them. I need to point them towards service in Jesus. How are we doing that, sweetheart? Can we have a conversation? Oh man, what are they like? How did God craft them? How did God create them? I mean, we want good lives for our children, right? We want the best life possible for them. And wouldn't that include fulfilling this vision, making it a reality by serving Christ and his people through the local church? Oh friends, oh friends, is there really a good objection to not serving? Is there? As we think about this, as we think about this, if we don't use God the Father's unique shape that he has given to us, if we don't use the Holy Spirit's gift that he has given us, if we don't make use of all the tools, the raw materials that Jesus Christ has given to his church, are we as a church walking, can I say it? It's got a little bit of bite. Are we walking in obedience? Can we call that holiness? Can we call that holiness? Oh, friends, as you make your schedules, please don't forget to prioritize the church. Please don't let Jesus' bride be a side dish. Don't let it be the green beans. No, 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 no. Let it be the, the rosemary, the garlic butter, the sea salt, and the pepper on the... Y'all know me too well. On the steak. Let's prioritize this mission, this vision, 
let's hop in, let's get involved, and let's see Jesus do even greater things. Jesus gives a task to every single one of his people. He gives that task for the building up of the local church, but he gives you gifts to aid you in this task. He gives you elders to preach, to teach, to shepherd, and to lead in such a way that we are all built up, we are all prepared, we are all trained, we are all equipped. And when we come together along these lines, the rest of the passage says there's some pretty impressive results. Let's look at those. Let's look at those. Let's go to our second point. We serve because of Jesus' goals. We serve because of his goals. If we see that Jesus gifts the church for ministry, we need to see the goals of that ministry. When elders make sure that Grace Church is an equipping church, let's use that terminology, we are an equipping church, and when our people step into their shape, when they serve the body, The next part of our passage shows the three results that will happen. Let's just look at them. Look at verse 13. It breaks down nicely along three lines. The first result is this. The first goal is this. Number one, we grow more unified. Number two, we grow in the knowledge of the Son of God. And number three, we grow up into a maturity patterned on Christ. We become unified We grow in the knowledge of the Son of God, and we mature on a pattern based after Christ. Let's break those down. Let's start with unity. Number one, we become more unified. Verse 13 begins with a statement, until we all reach unity in the faith. We are unified, and I love that about our church, but Paul holds out there's always more unity. There's always more unity. When you plug in, when you serve, when you call someone else to plug in and serve, when you help someone else find their shape, friends, you have increased the unity here at Grace Church. You have. Let me, let me break this down. Let me break this down. Can I tell you a story about unity? Can I tell you a story about unity? Yes, I'm going to use an army example. It's all I got, right? It's all I know. All right. I remember when I was in college, I remember when the army sent me to be evaluated as a potential officer. I was called a cadet. It's very demeaning. You feel like you're 12 years old, right? Like, I'm a cadet. I'm Cadet Rogers. No, I don't want to say that right? But I was a cadet, and as a cadet, you go to this 30-day-long camp called Advance Camp. You are thrown in with a platoon of 30 other cadets. We feel insulted together, right? Misery loves company. Well, you start off the first eight days with a battery of individual tests. You take a physical fitness test. You take a basic rifle marksmanship test. You take written tests on small group unit tactics, which is cool. And you get to do one of my most favorite things to do in all the army, You take a navigation test where you get a map, you get a compass, you're thrown out in the woods, and you've got to navigate to eight different points. It's a lot of fun, super challenging, especially at night in the Pacific Northwest where you're walking around going, I wonder if a grizzly bear is going to come out and challenge me to a fight. No flashlights, no illumination, unless the moon is out there. Oh, if you like like bear grill stuff, this was fun. It was good times. All right, you start off with these individual tests, but here's the thing. Do you really get to know your other platoon mates? No, you're so focused on your individual performance, just getting through that day, getting to the next day, you do not build a strong esprit de corps. You do not build that collective sense of identity. So here's how the Army fixes that. Here's what the Army does. It runs you through a battery of group tests 
to assess you as a potential leader, but it also has the byproduct effect of giving you a unit identity. Here's how it worked for us. One day we were just thrown out in the woods and we were given eight different obstacle courses that we needed to navigate. We had to make it through together as a team. We were given these really long, heavy wooden poles. We were given long pieces of rope. I was like, what is this special forces selection? We were given a 55 gallon oil drum and something like four different five gallon water jugs. Everywhere we went, they went. Every obstacle we went over, they were coming, right? Good times, right? Well, when you're 24 and have cartilage, it's wonderful times. When you're 42 and don't, it's horrible. All right. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. The guy evaluating you, the female officer evaluating you, also got to do simulated attacks. Like you're sitting there trying to huck, you know, your, your, your really heavy log. Um, the person behind you is trying to carry it with you. And the next thing you know, an artillery simulator goes off. And you hear that. I can't whistle, but that whee, you got to get down, you got to take cover, set up a security perimeter. So all this is happening while you're trying to do this really hard task. Were we good at this? No. <laughs> we were terrible. Oh man, we got it handed to us until, until, until we started to figure out everyone else's strengths. We started to realize, hey, you're a light. You probably need to go on the top of the pyramid. We can put you over this really tall obstacle. You are a gymnast? Okay, you're going on this balancing obstacle. We started to figure out who is good at keeping time and keeping us on our time hacks. We started to figure out, hey, who can draw? Right, who can draw a schematic of our plan? Who can draw a schematic of the enemy compound that we're trying to infiltrate? We started to utilize each other's gifts, each other's shape, each other's skill sets, and guess what happened? We started to win. That's what we do in the army, we win, right? I'm supposed to say that, right? Yeah, we started to win. We started to accomplish the missions as we started to take hold of and harness our strengths. What was the byproduct? As we started to win, we started to come closer together. We started to become more unified. The next thing you know, we've got inside jokes. We've got, remember that time that dude fell down and almost broke his leg stories? We've got nicknames, right? We've, I'm not gonna tell you mine. Um, we, we started to foster a sense of unity. We started to care for each other. We started to take care of each other. We started to know each other better, and you could feel that intangible quality when nine different parts become an integrated whole. It built unity. It built unity. This is what happens in an equipping church. As we figure out our shape, as we get ourselves in the right roles, over time, we develop that very same team identity, that team unity. We start to value each other's unique contributions. You do not want me singing. You do not want me on the guitar. You definitely don't want me on the piano. I don't know how y'all do it. It's amazing. It's wonderful. Where's Kristen? Where are you? There you go. Love you. Thank you. It's awesome. You do not want me doing that. I have two left hands when it comes to that. But here's the thing. Unlike my army unit, we have a deeper sense of unity. Why? Because it's founded on our common faith in Jesus Christ. When we serve, we see Jesus' servant heart in each other, and that spurs us on. It bonds and stitches our hearts together. 
As someone serves you, as someone serves your children, as you serve someone else, it builds an affection and it builds a fellowship that is centered on Jesus Christ and that provides the deepest form of unity. There's unity, that's a result. Doesn't that make you wanna serve? Don't you want grace to be even more of a place like that? Well, that's just one result. What's the second result? Here's the second result. The next result is there in verse 13, and it is the knowledge of who? Son of God who is called Jesus. Very good. We're getting there. All right. What is knowledge of the Son of God? What is knowledge of Jesus? What does that mean? It is this. At its core, it is this. It is knowledge of your Savior's great love for you. It is knowledge of your Savior's great love for you. As we become equipped, as we become an equipping church, as we learn God's word and gospel truth, as we are equipped with those, as we serve, as we are served, we cannot help but understand more and more of who our Savior is. We understand his great love for us even deeper. We start to see how much he served us. It even changes the way you read the Bible. Let me illustrate this. Let me give you an example. Let me show you how this works. When you come early to set up on a Sunday, when you do the extra work to get your home ready for a community group, when you have to stay late on a Sunday to put a five-year-old's crayons away and wipe them off, whenever you sacrifice your time, you really do read the Gospels differently. You see Jesus in a deeper light. You read of him spending time with the outcasts. You read of him touching sick people and their germs, just like that crayon. You read of him being tired, just like you are but still serving other people. You start to realize, I'm not like him. I don't wanna serve. If I could be honest, I wanna sleep in. I wanna be a bedside Baptist. I wanna go to church of the holy mattress, right? Like if we're honest, that's where it goes, right? We complain, I complain, you complain, we complain about serving, we complain about how other people don't serve, but as we read the Gospels, we see there's Jesus, and he never complains. He never complains. Rather, he is moved with compassion when he sees the crowds, and you start to go, how? How does he do that? How is he like that? Where does that come from? How does he keep doing this time and time again? How does he not get annoyed and just blast people? How does he not slam his hand down, hands down, yell out, I quit? You people are using me, by the way. You're just here for the cute parlor trick of multiplying food. You don't really want to know my father. And oh, by the way, in about two years, you're going to yell out for me to be crucified. How does he not do that? And then you realize that is the depth of his love for sinners. That is the width of his love for sinners. That is the height of his love for sinners. And it puts you in awe. It adds wonder to your soul. Why? because you're not just in awe at his great love for those people, but as you connect dots with your serving experience, as you connect dots with Jesus in the Gospels, the Holy Spirit comes along and whispers through the text, that is his love. 
It is that deep, that wide. It, it is that tall. It is that real. And it is that much for you. That same love is the same love he has for you despite your attitude right now. Wow. Like, hallelujah, what a savior, right? Do you see how you grow in the knowledge of the Son of God? Oh, friends, this is amazing. This is amazing. He'll never let us go. Even when we don't want to serve him, even when we want to squander his gifts, his love is still intact. You have knowledge of the Son of God. You just grew in your knowledge of the gospel. You just grew in your knowledge of Jesus' great love for you. That love found in the gospel really does fill your sails. It drives out all other winds that would blow your life. It really is the current that your soul is plugged into, and you become a conduit to share that love with other people, and as they serve, they receive that love, they feel that love, and they become conduit, sending that love right back down to you. And now the body is building itself up in love. Don't we want a church like that? Don't we want to be more like that? Doesn't that make you want to serve? You get more of Jesus. We're more unified. We get more of Jesus. What's result number three? Result number three is this, is this. It says in here we grow into mature manhood. We become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What does that mean? Here's what it means. It means Jesus is our measuring stick. It's not talking about like emotional maturity. It is talking about a fully developed, grown adult. Jesus is the pinnacle of humanity. He is perfect humanity. He is all we could ever want to be. That which we do not like about ourselves, that which we do not like about other people, you do not find in Jesus. He's perfect. He's the measuring stick. He is complete. So when we come into the stature of the fullness of Christ, we're growing in a maturity patterned on none other than Jesus himself. We grow to be more like him. This could be you teaching a child. This could be you leading a discussion group for our high schoolers. This could be you faithfully setting aside time to show up and help plan or run a men's or women's event. This could be you taking our little ones and little worshipers, teaching them what it means from the Bible to be a worshiper, teaching them why we worship according to the Bible, giving mom and dad the opportunity to be dialed in on the sermon to get a little bit of a break, to catch their breath, get their wind so they can go out Monday through Saturday and serve the family. These are the things that all allow us to become more like him this is what allows us to say goodbye to those things that hold us back from being more like him. And this is what allows us to measure up to him. Your service helps other people to mature in him, up to him as they grow in him. But your service also helps you to measure up to him. How? Because he's the greatest servant the world has ever known. What man? removes most of his clothing and washes the feet of 12 people that are about to betray him. That is a servant's heart. That is the measure of the fullness of maturity. That is the pattern that we 
must grow up into. Oh, friends, oh, friends, do you want to measure up to Jesus? Oh, friends, let's, let's go and let's serve other people as he has so richly served you. In all, in all, as we look at these results, these goals of, of being equipped as a body for service, we become more unified, we grow in the knowledge of God's love, and we measure up all the more as we grow into maturity and the maturity of Jesus Christ. These are the ministry goals we must pursue as we are equipped. Grace. Jesus calls all churches everywhere to become equipping churches, and in this passage, we have found two wonderful motivations to do so. We serve because of his gifts, and we serve because of his goals. We must become this equipping, serving church as we move forward. We must know our shape. We must find places to serve. Let me close with this. Now what? What do I do? What do we do? What does it look like to become an equipping church? How do we build ourselves up? How do we become this kind of church? Here are some thoughts. Let me give you three, and I'll close with these three. In an equipping church, one thing must happen, and it's this, number one. Everyone in the congregation understands they've got a unique role to play. Everyone in the congregation understands they have a unique role to play. This means we must proactively try to discern our unique shape. Please don't wait for an elder to come around, right? We've got a tool, we're giving you the tool, we're training you on how to use it, we're showing you how it flows from scripture. You do not have to wait around to try to figure this out. No, please engage with it, please use it and help find the role that you would fit best. If you are having trouble figuring it out, by all means, please see a ministry lead. Please see an elder. Our elders have trained and are continuing to train the ministry leads on how to do this. But just hop in somewhere. Just hop in somewhere and serve, and you will go, I am not shaped for this. I know this now. Thank you. I'm shaped for something else. Or you will find out, I have gifts and abilities I never even knew about. Some of our ministry leaders are going, I would not have taken this job, but I'm so glad I did because of what the Lord is showing me. We must understand we have a role to play. What's number two? To be an equipping church, here's number two. Elders must make sure that we are equipped with God's word in various ways. This equipping has to happen by the book. We must know God's word. We must have it tucked away in our hearts, on recall in our minds, as we live out its truths through our hands. This could be through preaching. This could be through Sunday school. This could be through a community group, through a men's or women's Bible study, through a one-on-one shepherding talk, through continuing to get meals, coffees together, and equipping churches. Elders must make sure that other leaders are also trained and that those leaders can go train other people. Everyone in the congregation understands they have a role to play, and elders must make sure we are equipped with God's word and according to God's word. Third, we must all work together. We must all work together. In equipping churches, there can never be the mindset, that's the pastor's job, the pastors do all of the work. No, that will not fly, we cannot have that mentality. In an equipping church, 
The beautiful thing is, if something ever happens to me, heaven forbid, or to Pastor Brad, ministry, by and large, can continue to go on. In some ways, us and the elders work ourselves out of a job. Don't quote me on that. My wife is here, all right? But we must all work together. At the same time, we cannot have this pastors do all the work, but at the same time, we cannot have another dynamic. It's a dynamic I've seen in different churches. It's this. Congregants, regular attenders and members cannot stonewall or push away the elders or the pastors. A lot of times this is not on purpose. This is rather unintentional. But I've seen situations where someone has been in a role for too long and they become resistant to change, resistant to suggestions, resistant to advice, even though it's clear their ministry is starting to decline and needs to make some changes. Let the elders and the pastors in. Let them in. I have also seen, and this is never like intentional. In fact, it has good intentions. But I have seen repeatedly people develop their pet ministries their pet ministries. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I don't mean like literally dogs and cats, but that thing that I'm so passionate about and I can't let go of it. And what happens when those pet ministries are not synced with the elders? They unintentionally, with good intentions, draw manpower away from the church's main ministries. We have to be careful of this. You can settle for a whole lot of good and miss better or great, right? We can get eight or nine different pet ministries going and nobody's doing, hey, (laughs) the vision is this, it's over here. We're drifting this way. That can cause tension, that can cause conflict. We all must work together to make sure our greater mission does not suffer. When we work together, we avoid those speed bumps. So to become an equipping church, everybody has a role. Elders equip with God's word, according to God's word, and we all work together. Grace Church, God has done so much among us. Has he not? Has he not? People are hungry for Jesus. People have come to faith in Jesus. We've had adult professions of faith. We have people saying, I wish I could redo my profession of faith because now I know I'm a Christian. In fact, since our ministry fair last year, we have added somewhere between 50 to 60 new members. Our size has grown, and that means our needs have grown. Each of us has a unique role to play. Let's keep that momentum going forward as we take our unique shape that flows from bearing God's image, that uh, flows from being gifted by the Holy Spirit, and let's plug that shape into Jesus's vision for the church that he has gifted and he has given goals to, and we will be built up in him. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Father God. You are so good. You are so kind. Father, we bear your image, and what a privilege, what a distinction, what an uplifting truth. No matter the disability, no matter the brokenness, no matter the amount of mistakes, we still bear your image. You love us enough to give us spiritual gifts to use to serve you, to go to you with work, to go to work with you every single day. Your son has layered on top of that his own gift of equipping elders and a ministry of equipping, of service. 
so that this good news can get out there all the more. Oh, Father God, please make us, please let us be an equipping church, Father. One who seeks to serve, one who seeks to train others to serve, who trains others to serve, who trains others to serve. And Father, of course, please help us to have a great like church work life balance as we do this. But Father, at the same time, please help us not to push out service to the church. We love you, Father. We praise you. We ask your blessings upon our meal, our fellowship, our time together. And Father, please make this fall a remarkable one for grace. We ask this in your son's great name. We ask it for our good. We ask it for your glory. And all God's people say, amen.